Hello and welcome to Wizard Studies. I'm Katie. And I'm Audrey. And today, in honor of October, I guess. <laughs> almost <and> Halloween. <laughs> almost Halloween. This episode is about Lillian James Potter. We're on to like memorialize their tragic deaths. Ugh. Yeah, I feel like we've been we've had this planned for a while. Like we were gonna yeah. do it last Halloween and then we didn't. <laughs> Yeah. And so we're like, we can't do it until Halloween. (laughs) Yeah. Tragic but necessary deaths, I will say, for, like, the plot of the story to happen. Yeah. Obviously necessary, yeah. Do you want me to do it? (laughs) Oh, I can do it. I don't know. (laughs) Okay. Our patron shout-out for the day, or for the episode, is Linda. Thank you, Linda, for all your support. We really appreciate you. Yes, thank you so much. And then just on to announcements. Um, kind of just the same as last week. Patrons, check your tiers so you can get your episodes early and your extra episodes. If you are contributing the amount that qualifies you for an extra episode, that should be coming up in a few days after day of release of this episode. Um, we're really putting the October one right at the end of the month. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we'll try to be better for November, but who knows? It's still within the month. <laughs> yeah. Um, but just make sure that if you are, uh, already, if you had already signed up to, um, be a, be our patron before our tiers went up, you have to go in and you have to select that tier so that you actually get access to those extra perks. Yeah, and just because we haven't mentioned this on the podcast yet, I just want to remind everybody to go vote. Um, At this point, when this episode comes out, um, it'll be really close to, like, actual election day, but have a plan, know how you're going to vote, and then do it, please. Yeah. Everybody is helped when we all vote. Yeah. Um, So, I have already voted. I have plans to early vote. I haven't picked a day yet, but I looked up the locations and I already know my location, so. Good. Proud of you. Getting there. Thank you. (laughs) Like, I was going to wait until I came home to kind of figure it all out. Yeah, that makes sense. And I'm going to go vote with my brother. It can be a little brother-sister date. Aw, that's cute. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But yeah, just go vote. Use your voice. Yeah. So. All right. So, on that note. (laughs) on to james and lily so this episode they were a voting age they could have voted we're barely a voting age (laughs) (laughs) just barely they were barely of american drinking age yeah so this episode like all of our like two character episodes is kind of set up like split a little bit um we're going to talk a little bit about james then we're going to talk a little bit about lily and then we're going to talk about them together um it's a little more convoluted than in the past when we had it very like cut half the episode for one half the episode for the other um well it's hard because we don't actually know these characters like we have never as readers met these characters before and so it made it a little bit harder to like we don't really have much information of 
about them by themselves because everything yeah. we hear about them is from the perspective of somebody else. So like we own, we know a lot about relationships that they had with people, but not too much about them as individuals. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So we're going to start with James. Um, so just go into his fact file for a bit. His name is James Potter. We don't have a middle name on that as far as I could um, figure out, which is interesting. I feel like that could have been slipped in really easily, like on a tombstone or something like that. Yeah, well, we also know a lot of just about his family history. So it yeah. also would have been really easy to just give him like a family name too. Just like, yes, for sure. You know. So, um, according to MuggleNet, Jane. <laughs> James, not James. <laughs> James means supplanter, and to supplant is to take the place of or substitute, especially through intrigue or underhanded tactics. Um, and James was also an apostle of Jesus. Hmm. So, that's... I think... The underhanded tactics, maybe? You know, like, he was yeah, mischievous? Well, I like the idea of, like, taking the place of or substitute, because I feel like harry did that in a sense like for oh, james yeah, like yeah. in a lot of people people's eyes um that might be like stretching it just a little bit but that's like what i thought of when you read that yeah i like that so then we have um potter and this is thought to come from potter's field which is the name given to a cemetery where a city or town buries those who have gone unclaimed or unwanted so like the orphans um, really sad. Uh, Potter's Field is also considered a cursed land because Judas hanged himself in one. So, mm. a lot of biblical references. I yeah, don't know well, how James much. James is a very actually... yes. I don't know how I much mean, it, it actually works apostles, into like our James, but. Yeah. <laughs> and then another note about the name Potter within the Harry Potter universe. Um, the Potters are purebloods, but they were not included in the Sacred Twenty Eight. Because their name is such a common mobile surname. So basically just because what their name sounded like, they weren't included. Yeah, like it's implied that they are of like such an old, like pure blood family that they would have been included. Mm-hmm. But were left off because their name wasn't elite enough for the creators of the Sega 28. It's funny. So we do know James's birthday. This is purely because we see his headstone. So he was born March 27th, 1960. And he died on October 31st, 1981, making him just barely 21 and a half, 21 and seven months. Um, So younger than I am now. I know, that's so wild. And he was married and had a child and was fighting in a war. Yeah. Like, like, not even just had a child. Like, Harry was one and a half. Yeah, close to one and a half, yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's wild. Mm-hmm. Um, so his parents were Flema and Euphemia Potter. Like I said, we do know a lot about his family history. There is a writing that came out on Potter more about his family history, and that's why we know so much about it. And that his house was, of course, Gryffindor. <laughs> Shocker. Such a, such a quintessential quintessential Gryffindor yeah honestly so (laughs) hot-headed um 
so we do know his Patronus was a stag, and we know that Harry's isn't the same as his father's. And I'm going to talk a little bit about Patronus's later. <laughs> um, so the I believe this is probably Mugglenet. Um, yeah. So the Mugglenet writing about this stag Patronus is, The stag is a symbol of strength. A person with this Patronus is characterized for their inclination to heroism and nobility. Usually people who produce this Patronus are confident in their capabilities and hold pride in their actions and beliefs. The stag's antlers can grow back once they fall off because of this characteristic. The animal has been revered in many traditions as a symbol of life regeneration. So... I think that this is clearly a description written for a character. You know, Harry. like this, descri- yeah, this description <laughs> is written to fit Harry yeah. because we know that Harry is, is a stag Patronus. Just like, I feel like the otter is a little bit written to match Hermione, mm-hmm. whereas the ones, the Patronuses that we don't see connected to a person throughout this series, their descriptions are normally pretty generic so that anybody can see themselves in this but because this is Harry and James it's a little bit more specific and very nicely and neatly fits both those characters yeah I mean obviously though the last thing about life regeneration is like really perfect for Harry James wasn't so lucky (laughs) yeah well we well I will say even like when I started out the episode I said that we never met these characters in person like we kind of did the memories there are so many visions so we see them in the memories we see them in the resurrection zone we see them in the mirror of erised there's just so many they pop up so often for characters that are already dead yeah um so still pretty important characters (laughs) yes for sure so james's wand we actually know this because it was mentioned by Ollivander in Sorcerer's Stone when Harry goes to get his wand. Um, James's was mahogany wood, mahogany. 11, <laughs> 11 inches and pliable. And the way Ollivander described it was pliable and good for transfiguration um, and also having a little more power than Lily's. So I think I really like the pliable descriptor. Um, because we know or are made to assume that he changed as a person. And I think that's like something about his character maybe like still developing less, um, not unyielding flexibility like mine is. <laughs> like Bell- I think that's Bellatrix's. Um, and then also the good at tr- transfiguration, like obviously the main like thing we know of him doing magically is becoming an animagus so yeah i also like that it like specifically says that he had more power like his wand had more power than lily's because i think that like obviously i don't think that's met in any way to kind of downplay lily's abilities because obviously we know that she's a great witch Mm. but james was a little bit more powerful a little bit more forceful a little bit louder you know and like lily was a little bit more and not quiet that's definitely not the white the right word for her but she was just still not quite as aggressive thoughtful and intentional and you know yeah and like people act like i feel like she was generally liked by most people not that james wasn't he was obviously very popular but he also had some enemies for the way that he acted yeah 
And we see her getting along with, like, many different people, too, i.e. Snape and James. <laughs> so. Um, so some skills and achievements that we know that James has is, we already mentioned this, but he's an animagus, and his animal is a stag. He was a Gryffindor chaser, which I don't know if we talk about this at all. Um, is that any, is this in any of your notes, this whole thing? No, I think we okay. might have talked about it on the podcast briefly before yeah go ahead well I was just gonna say so it's a very common mistake to say that James is a seeker but like if you assume that I won't hold it against you because (laughs) we are led to believe that he is a seeker within this series like we see him playing with a snitch at one point in this in the memories and Harry's a very good seeker and people are always Mm -hmm. like you're so like your father he was very good at Quidditch as well but he's actually a chaser and I think that was just like I don't know if mistake is the right word on like the part of the author but it just seems like very inconsistent it's like she wasn't sure like she forgot that she made him a chaser Mm -hmm. you know and like playing with a snitch yeah I totally agree with that I think it Aside from, like, the things we see in the series, it does make, like, with his personality, it makes sense that he's a chaser, I think, because it's kind yeah. of, like, chaser and seeker, both both of those positions would make sense as, like, kind of, like, the cool kid, like, they get the, the star, the standout. Yeah. I think it would have been really funny if he was, like, a beater or keeper. Yeah. <laughs> but no, yeah, so it's, like, they're, not that they're arguments, because it's technically, like, a fact canon that he is a chaser. Mm-hmm. But should he have been a seeker? <laughs> I, I don't know. I feel like when there's something as debated, not debated, I guess, but when so many people wrongly believe something, like, there's a reason that they believe that. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyways, we know that he was also head boy, but not prefect. So, like, that's kind of funky. I talk about that a little. But, yeah, we'll talk. That will definitely be talked about later. We know that he was a member of the original Order of the Phoenix, and he was a co-creator of the Marauder's Map. So there's another example of his magic skills and ability. Yeah. And then the final thing on the fact file is the magic fact, which the this and the skills and achievements are coming from the MuggleNet character compendium. Um, and they list the magic fact as James inherited the invisibility cloak with his father, who was a direct descendant of its original owner, Ignatius Pe- Peveril. So, well, ancestry there. Yeah. So, for the first mentions, hold on, sorry, I'm picking up my book, trying to not make much noise. Um, so, for, for the first mentions today, because... They're mentioned at the same time. I'm going to actually pick their first two mentions. Or there's probably a mention in between. But so I'm going to pick the actual first mention when they talk, when like McGonagall and Albus talk about them in The Boy Who Lived, the first chapter of the first book. And then for later in the episode, for Lily's first mention mention section, going to talk about when Harry first sees them in the mirror of Erised because that's our first like description of them which we generally get in the first mention so just a little heads up about that so the first mention is on page nine of the illustrated version in the boy who lived 
What they're saying, she pressed on, is that last night, Voldemort turned up in Godric's Hollow. He went to find the Potters. The rumor is that Lily and James Potter are, are that they're dead. Dumbledore bowed his head. Professor McGonagall gasped. Lily and James? I can't believe it. I didn't want to believe it. Oh, Albus. Oh, so, my God, very my sad. God. I know. Them. Well, because she, you have to think about it. Like, she was their head of house. Mm-hmm. She was their teacher for seven years. And it's not like they're like, oh, they were at Hogwarts 10 years ago. Or are they at Hogwarts like 15 years ago? Like, they were at Hogwarts like mm-hmm. three years ago. And yeah. then she kind of worked closely with the Order, too. So she probably stayed close with them. Yeah. It's oh, so, sad. so sad. It's so sad. Okay, um, so now on to James's personality type. He is an ENTJ, which is the commander, which we've Ooh. only done once before. Ooh. And it was for Baltimore. What? Yes. Whoa. Yes. Crazy. Uh. Did, so did you type James, or was he already typed on the internet? I don't I think he must have been already typed, to be honest. I did this, like, two days ago, and I don't remember. I... <laughs> no, he was already typed. Okay. It was... Uh, or it was between something and this. I don't know if I typed okay. Voldemort, though. Oh, no, no, no. Oh. James was already typed, but I think I typed Voldemort or something. Okay. But I think it fits both of them. I think it is really, like, the good and the bad sides. Um, yeah. These excerpts are certainly, like, more of the good. I cut out a lot of the, like, things about being a terrible human being <laughs> but maybe i shouldn't have some people hey like some james. people argue that james was a terrible human being <laughs> yeah all right so commanders are natural born leaders people with this personality type embody the gifts of charisma and confidence and project authority in a way that draws crowds together behind a common goal However, commanders are also characterized by an often ruthless level of rationality, using their drive, determination, and sharp minds to achieve whatever end they've set for themselves. I will say, now that I'm, like, reading this again, I remember with Voldemort, it was very much, like, Tom Riddle's personality. Oh, Um, yeah, yeah. When he was, like, still human. (laughs) Yeah. But anyway, James was, like, definitely kind of, like, a leader, a popular guy, definitely like leader of the marauders quidditch player and probably captain i don't think we know that but i feel like we can maybe assume and could definitely like get people to follow him socially i think at school um and then drive and determination i think as well as being slytherin traits can be gryffindor traits like that very hairy like um gryffindor who has a little bit of slytherin in them and then the reference to having a sharp mind and like McGonagall does insinuate that James and Sirius were very bright um, and kind of like witty and got by easy in their classes because of their brains. At the negotiating table, be it in a corporate environment or buying a car, commanders are dominant, relentless, and unforgiving. This isn't because they're cold-hearted or vicious per se. It's more that commander personalities genuinely enjoy the challenge, the battle of wits, the repartee that comes from this environment. And if the other side can't keep up, that's no reason for commanders to fold on, to fold on their own core tenet of ultimate victory. Um, so competitive and witty, I think, 
are like what we see when we have those glimpses of him hanging out with his friends. Um, I also, I think that maybe I mentioned this later too, but I think this fits in well with like complimenting Sirius's personality type, kind of the battle of wits. Um, I remember talking about with Sirius, he's, his personality type is dubbed the debater and it's kind of all about like kind of playing the devil's advocate, pushing back. And I think this personality type also um, falls into that. And I think I can totally see them like going back and forth and just kind of like constantly one-upping each other, challenging each other, um, you know, like teenage boys do. <laughs> If there's anyone commanders respect... I wouldn't know respect, anything about teenage boys, Audrey. <laughs> you're not living with one right now? <laughs> no. If there's anyone commanders respect, it's someone who is able to stand up to them intellectually, who is able to act with a precision and quality equal to their own. Commander personalities have a particular skill in recognizing the talents of others, and this helps to both helps in both their team building efforts and to keep commanders from displaying too much arrogance and condescension. However, they also have a particular skill in calling out others' failures with a chilling degree of insensitivity. And this is where commanders really start to run into trouble. So this is um, what I was talking about with Sirius being like those two bright and quick-witted guys. I also think that that kind of respect maybe comes in with his relationship with Lily. Obviously, she was very smart, um, very good at school, very good at magic. And so I think James was never gonna, never gonna marry someone who couldn't have that kind of, like, intellectual debate with him. Yeah. References team building, and again, we think of Quidditch and the Marauders and the Order. He's often working, like, within a group of people. Um, We always see him surrounded by people. And then the hinting at bordering on arrogance and condescension, which are both complaints of Snape regarding James. And then that kind of that last thing I said about insensitivity. Um, I think we definitely can see James as being insensitive. He definitely did bully Snape, which we'll get on later. Um, And maybe also was insensitive with Wormtail. Um, I know we tried to parse out Wormtail's place in the Marauders on that episode. Um, it's still really murky, but I think one interpretation could be that, like, James and Sirius weren't the greatest friends to him. Yeah. So, commanders are true powerhouses, and they cultivate an image of being larger than life, and often they are. They need to remember, though, that their stature comes not just from their own actions, but from the actions of the team that props them up, and that it's important to recognize the contributions, talents, and needs, especially from an emotional perspective of their support network. Even if they have to adopt a fake-till-you-make-it mentality, if commanders are able to combine an emotionally healthy focus alongside their many strengths, they will be rewarded with deep, satisfying relationships and all the challenging victories they can handle. Um, this, what stood out to me in this one is just like see, being seen as larger than life. I think Harry does see James that way. Like he definitely has this like complex where like James is God. Like yeah, James can do no wrong. James was the perfect man. Like all of these things. And that's certainly wasn't the case. Um, and then. Well, nobody this, is like that. So. Nobody's like that. Yes. Everyone is flawed. Um, And then 
the bit about emotions I think I'll talk about a little bit more later with Lily's personality type but I think it's not off base to say that James maybe wasn't great with dealing with emotions. Um, so for strengths, we have efficient, energetic, self-confident, strong-willed, strategic thinkers, and charismatic and inspiring. I think all of those are pretty spot on. Um, and then for weaknesses, we have stubborn and dominant, intolerant, impatient, arrogant, poor handling of emotions, and cold and ruthless. Arrogant, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I could definitely see him being, like, stubborn and impatient. Mm-hmm. I don't know if cold and ruthless would be what I would describe James as, but I also no. feel like cold and ruthless is something that, like, I would describe very few people, like, let alone care, like... Yeah. I don't know if I could think of a actual person in my life that I've met that I would ever describe as cold and ruthless, if that, you know... <laughs> yeah that's like kind of an extreme yeah and then Um, there are like very few even like fictional characters i feel like that i describe as cold and ruthless Voldemort. (laughs) yeah yeah i mean yeah (laughs) i think that i what but i do think the like parallels we talk a lot about the parallels between tom riddle and harry like tom riddle school tom riddle and harry and i think that there are a certain number of parallels um between James and Tom Riddle too actually like thinking yeah. about it and thinking about like their popularity and who they were in school maybe more so than who Harry was in school obviously with Tom Riddle you get like with Tom and Harry you get the orphan and the way yeah. they grew up and all of that stuff but like with James and Tom maybe you get like more similar personalities obviously that's what I'm saying with this personality type I don't think Harry would be very happy with me saying that they're similar, but... (laughs) Yeah, no. He would definitely throw a temper tantrum. Yeah. My father. (laughs) My father would hear about this. (laughs) He would sound like Malfoy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, speaking of who James was as a person, I'm going to talk a little bit about maybe why he is the way that he is and about his childhood and his parents. So like I mentioned before, at least twice now, I think, we do know quite a bit about his extended family. So starting with his parents, um, his parents were Fleamont and Euphemia, like I mentioned before. But his father, Fleamont, was a cosmetic potioner. And when I first read that, I thought he said, like, cosmetic pioneer. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> um, but it's potioner. And he was per- he's perhaps best known for creating the Sleek Easy's hair potion, which is what we see Hermione use in Goblet of Fire before the Yule Ball mm-hmm. to look all purdy and done up for her day. <laughs> um, but we also know that his, like, family, he comes from a family of well-known potioners. His family is credited with making potions such as the Pepper Up Potion and the Skelligro Potion, which we see Harry actually take at one point. So yeah. I think that's kind of funny because, like, there's no way he knew that his ancestors and his, like, ex- his family going back however many generations were the ones who created that. And that's why he's so rich. Yeah. Yeah, so, like Audrey just said, that's why the Potters were so wealthy. But I will say, it is said that the Sleek Easy's hair potion, like, Fleamont specifically quadrupled the family gold damn so like if they were already 
pretty well off from coming up with like Pepper Up and Skelligro. He quadrupled. Yeah. I wonder if And if, if it's that's like... not a commentary on like actual helpful things versus like cosmetic yeah, based that's things what I'm making saying. money, like I mean, I I think it maybe the wizarding world is better than our world with like drug prices you know like (laughs) obviously we see that drug prices can be way way i don't know if harry was ever sent a bill for his skelligro that he took in the hospital wing but maybe like the wizarding world you know it's those things are more accessible but yeah jane uh fleamon had no problem making sleekies he's really uh pricey because he knew that people didn't actually like need Need it it, yeah hey some people have really frizzy hair and need this speaking as somebody who has really frizzy hair your curly hair is beautiful (laughs) thank you um so yeah he grew up very very wealthy and on top of that his parents were quite old to be having a child and it says like even by magical standards so this made me think so i've talked about this before specifically about cursed child i think that is the last time i brought this up but i watch a youtube channel called new rock stars and they have like a podcast or episode like series that comes out once a week called the big question and like one guest or one guest host answers like one big question in like pop culture media whatever like whether it be which like which superhero suit is actually the most effective and which ones are the worst Mm. um but one of the questions was like do wizards and witches in the harry potter world have the same like repro um not reproductive like is their fertility timeline the same as normal people's like fertility timeline i don't know have we i think i thought i had but go ahead but, so, Eric, who answered the question, was the one who talked about Cursed Child. He's definitely, like, a bigger Harry Potter fan than I think most of the hosts on New Rockstars are. And he talked about how, like, he thinks that it's pretty much the same, but, like, just maybe proportional with their longer life that they have. Mm-hmm. So, like, they might be fertile for, like, the same amount of, like, the same ratio of our lives that we are. Yeah. Um, but it just seems a little bit longer because they're a little bit older. But anyways, that was a tangent to go on but it says that even by like wizard standards they were quite old when they had james and they i think that like it mentions that they had kind of like given up on having a kid that they had tried before and it never worked out for whatever reason um and james was like kind of a surprise so he grew up in a very wealthy household where he was the only child and was like kind of a miracle baby that they had been waiting for. And both of his parents were older, so they were tired, um, like while he was still at home. So he just like that like is a perfect storm of being like spoiled, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and like he was just like doted on so much as a child and basically like never t- never told no. Like he got whatever he wanted. And so I think that contributes a little bit to his arrogance. Like, I think he grew mm-hmm. up with his parents telling him that he was, like, the best thing in the world. And he came to believe that. Um, and, like, expecting to get whatever he wanted. I think that kind of continued into maybe his early Hogwarts years. And I have a theory that I think this is part of the reason why he was so enamored with Lily. Was because she was, like, 
no yeah she like wasn't sure. just like for falling sure. at his feet you know like the chase whatever mm-hmm. you know he actually had to work for something um and he was like very skilled at school like you kind of mentioned he was just like naturally smart like he never really had to work very hard in his life he was just kind of except to win lily over <laughs> yeah <laughs> so i think that's interesting and i think that i think i have a little theory that that's why he was so enamored with her yeah um but yeah so then later just a little bit more about like his parents um they did let Sirius move in with them when they were 16 so I think that me talking about how like they spoiled James like I don't think that they did it in the way that some parents spoil their kids like kind of just to get them to shut up sometimes like parents just like give their kids whatever they want so that like they're not in their hair anymore um, I think that James's parents, they were just, like, they wanted to give James a world. And they, like, really loved him and they really cared about him. And they were just, like, loving people. Mm-hmm. And so I think that they extended their love onto Sirius. Um, I do think that them letting Sirius move in with them, like, I think says quite a bit about them as people and as parents. Um, so, yeah, I really like that. And I, I don't know, I think that's such a cool tidbit to both James and Sirius's stories mm-hmm. that Sirius moved in with James not that they're like at home for really that extended like of a time but so yeah. and then both of them died at an old age from dragon pox in either 1979 or 1980 so we know it was post James graduating but pre them dying slash pre Harry being born I think mm. I don't know, because Harry was born in 1980. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And, like, they, they like, died basically at the same time, which is just yeah very devastating. Yeah, but I think it also, like, happens a lot with older couples, you know? Yeah. Well, just, like, for James, you know, to, like, be mm-hmm. going through what he was going through at that period of time in his life. To either have, like, first off, like, him be, him be in hiding, him, yeah. like, his wife being pregnant, and then both of his parents dying. Yeah. It's a lot. It Especially is. for a 20-year-old. <laughs> uh, all right. So now we're going to talk a bit about Lily before we go on to talk about the two of them together. So... Lily's full name is, that we know, is Lily J. Evans Potter. Um, Yeah. The J. What is the J? Yeah, the J actually comes from, so it's, I don't, I guess it's not canon, but it comes from a production note for the names on trophies in the movies, Mm. probably in Chamber, um, because I think it's, like, with the, like, Tom Riddle trophies. And that was listed as L.J. Evans and then, like, in parentheses, Lily Potter. Um, L.J. Yeah. Um, any uh, tall boys I've loved before fans up in here? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, yeah, J, maybe, take it or leave it. Um, yeah. So, according to MuggleNet, a lily is a flower symbolizing purity and innocence. It is the flower commonly used during Easter holiday and symbolizes immortality. The bulb mm. decays in the ground and from it new life is released. It is Lily who gives her life so that <laughs> Harry can keep on living. Oh my god. 
Yeah. That it's is like too so good. perfect. Oh my um, god. Um and I think just like the immortality of like her giving her life like kind of makes Harry immortal, like not really, but yeah. like kind of. And yeah. like her legacy lives on for so long because yeah. of what she did. So like she's kind of immortal in that way. And I, I just like really love that. I'd always oh, thought of it as so kind of just good. a basic name, but like Yeah. Thank you, MuggleNet, for that interpretation. Yeah, that was great. Oh, my God. <laughs> also, sorry, going back to the J, do you have any guesses on what it is? Like, let's Jean. just say that it's canon. <laughs> I think that it's Jasmine because we're talking flowery names up in here <laughs> with Lily okay. and Petunia. What if it's James? Okay. Lily, Lily James. James. So then... Her last name also being Evans, um, or her maiden name, I guess. It's the Celtic name that means young warrior, which I like, because I feel like yeah. everybody's, like, forgets that, like, she fought in the war, too, and, like, yeah, she's a warrior. Yeah, for sure. I mean, she lasts longer than James does. This is true. <laughs> Not much. <laughs> well, I will say, on the wiki... And, like, lists her marital status as widow. Yeah, I saw that, I too. was like, whoa, that is savage. Like, we're talking For, like, what, three minutes? minutes. <laughs> yeah. So I thought that was, like, kind of funny. Um, yeah. Not funny, because it's obviously devastating, but... <laughs> um, so her birthday <laughs> is January 30th, 1960, oh. which is also my birthday. What? You were born in 1960? Yeah, I was actually born in 1962. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I've always loved that because I feel like we ha- we do have, like, quite a few, like, dated birth dates, but, like, not a whole lot, really. Mm-hmm. I feel like doing this podcast has like made me realize that we don't have the, actually that many birthdays as like maybe you think you we would. Yeah. So to share one is amazing. <laughs> and it was then, also FDR's birthday. Fun fact. Wow. Yeah. What a trio. Honestly. And then <laughs> the, we should be the new golden trio. Oh God. So then her death date is obviously the same. As James's October thirty first, nineteen eighty one. So she was what twenty one years and ten months. Yeah, yeah. So we don't know her parents' names, but we do know her sister's name, Petunia, and Petunia. You might know her better as. Um, and she was a Muggle born, so both of her parents were Muggles. We just know them as Mister and Mrs. Evans. Mm-hmm. And then Lily, of course, was also in Gryffindor House. Yep. So her Patronus was a doe. That's all I'll say about that for right now. <laughs> um, not really. But, um, like, the little blurb from MuggleNet is, As the Patronus of Severus Snape and Lily Potter, the doe is fiercely protective of its loved ones, as displayed through its caring and nurturing nature. Nurturing nature. The doe is also representative of gentleness yet strong determination. And with its high level of intuition and sensitivity, it battles life challenges with the utmost grace and vigilance. Which, this is just a description of Lily. Like, I hope we're all on the same page about that. Like, none of this 
like I feel like even if you are a Snape apologist, like none of this really describes mm-hmm. Snape at all. No. Like maybe strong determination, but they say like gentleness yet strong determination. Yeah. So I don't know. No. All right. So for Wand, um, she has we know it from the same um, scene in Sorcerer's Stone, and her wand was Willow Wood. Ten and a quarter inches and swishy. Ooh. Um, and then Ollivander also said that it was good at charms. So Willow is an uncommon wand wood with healing power. Oh wait, this is the Ollivander player. I was like, why is this sadder? Um, Ron also has a Willow wand. Um, you know who also has a Willow wand? You? Me. Oh. That's like technically my second wand because I lost it when like Wizarding World got turned yeah. over, and that was my new wand. Like the second time I took it, and it's the one that I got that picked me in Universal. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. Wow, you're basically Lily. I mean, yeah, we're gonna find out more how similar I am with her in just a second. <laughs> All right, so um, Willow is an uncommon wand wood with healing power, and I've noted that the ideal owner for a Willow wand often has some usually unwarranted insecurity, however well, however well they may try and hide it. While many confident customers insist on trying a Willow wand, attracted by their handsome appearance and well-founded reputation for enabling advanced nonverbal magic, my Willow wands have consistently selected those of greatest potential rather than those who feel they have little to learn. It was. It has always been a proverb in my family that he who has furthest to travel will go fastest with Willow. And so I think maybe like that insecurity that's definitely unwarranted could be, could trace back to her being muggle-born. Um, and then like I love the talk of her having a ton of potential and having um, a lot, uh, just like so much that she could do. And it sounds like it fits her in being like a really talented witch yeah i like that i don't love this description like for somebody like me to get just because it doesn't like say much about the person who gets Mm -hmm. it It more says like what the wand will help them achieve kind of thing you know it's like not so much a personality type or yeah you know um, but anyways, so her skills and achievements are that she was a member of the OG Order of the Phoenix. She was a member of the Slug Club. She was a prefect, right? I assume, but I also don't think that that is ever said. We know that Venus was prefect, and we know that yeah. James and Lily were head boy and head girl. But I don't think, I think everyone has just assumed that Lily yeah. was prefect. Um, okay. And I think, like, a lot of, like fans like that's like headcanon that Lily and Remus were prefixed together yeah well that's I think like the whole basis of the what is it I don't know what their ship name is like really I have no idea um but yeah anyways the reason why I asked is just because it wasn't listed on this um yeah head so she was member of the OG Order of the Phoenix member of the Slug Club head girl and she was proficient in charms and potions which I think is super funny because, like, James, I feel like, would have been, like, destined to be great at potions, but actually it was Lily. Yeah, that's funny. And then for her magic fact, um, Lily and James Potter personally defied Lord Voldemort three times, um, which I guess I'll talk about a bit more later, but this comes from the prophecy. We don't know exactly what these three are, but 
I'll get get to that later. Yeah. So for the second first mention, like I said before, I'm going to read their descriptions in the chapter Mirror said where Harry sees them for the first time because he's never even seen a picture of his parents, which is like really devastating. Um but yeah. So she was a very pretty woman. She had had she had dark red hair in her eyes. Her hot her eyes are just like mine, Harry thought. Edging a little closer to the glass. Bright green, exactly the same shape, but then he noticed that she was crying. Smiling, but crying at the same time. The tall, thin, black-haired man sitting next to her put his arm around her. He wore glasses, and his hair was very untidy. It stuck up in the back, just like Harry's did. Harry was so close to the mirror now that his nose was nearly touching that of his reflection. Mom, he whispered. Dad? Uh, so sad. My heart. That's yeah. so cute. So, Lily's personality type is ESFJ, the console, and if that sounds familiar, it's because we've talked about it four times at this point. Uh, This is the fifth time. She shares a personality type with Fleur, Cedric, Molly, Lavender, and... Katie! (laughs) So, I'm basically... I know we talk about how I'm basically Eddie Redmayne. But if you combine Eddie Redmayne and Lily Potter, like, that's me. Because I'm Eddie Redmayne's house in Patronus, and then Lily's personality type, birthday, and, um, wand. What? Yeah. I Basically, guess all you are. need to make up a person. Like, that's all that matters. <laughs> Those five things. <laughs> Those five things. All right, so, yeah, talked about this one a bit. I think Lily is, like, kind of the quintessential um ESFJ yeah like if you look up Harry Potter like Myers-Briggs like she's the icon that they use yeah she's yes she's the one that they assign um which I guess makes sense because she's like maybe a more significant character than the other four even though the other four you like actually meet Um, yeah I'm sure there will be more that we type into this um, yeah type because it is very it's a very common (laughs) so people who share the console personality type are for lack of a better word popular which makes sense given that is also a very common personality type making up 12 percent of the population and high school consoles are the cheerleaders and the quarterbacks setting the tone taking the spotlight and leading their teams forward to victory and fame Later in life, consoles continue to enjoy supporting their friends and loved ones, organizing social gatherings, and doing their best to make sure everyone is happy. So, I feel like we we always talk about how James was popular, um, but I can totally see her as popular in school, like maybe in a more understated way. Um, not that she's like quiet, but quieter than James. Yeah. And popular in the in the sense of just being like well liked yeah not like popular like coolest kid in school but kind of just like everyone likes her she probably has a ton of friends um and like gets along well with it seems like a lot of different types of people yeah um we do it talks about like the cheerleaders and the quarterbacks and i think um i can see like obviously she's not a cheerleader but, like, I can see her fit, her and James fitting that kind of, like, it couple in high school vibe. Yeah. Um, like, I'm sure when they got together, it was, like, a lot of girls were mad. A lot of boys were mad. <laughs> well, we know Wally's like, one so boy cute. that was mad. <laughs> yes. Um, and then we can definitely... I can definitely see her keeping the Marauder gang together during the war. 
um, talking about like supporting their friends and loved ones later in life. Obviously, she didn't get that far into life. Yeah, well, um, she was the one who wrote Sirius like the thank yeah. you letter for Harry's birthday present. Yes. Which I think, like, and at in, first is kind of weird because it's, like, well, Sirius was James's friend. But obviously I think Lily was good friends with them. And I can see her more of the type to, like, sit down and pen a thank you letter. Yeah. Not and, James. like, in it she mentions about, like, Wormtail stopping by. And so, like, yeah. I think she maybe kind of, like, keeps keeps the gang together. Yeah. So, discussing scientific theories or debating European politics isn't likely to capture Consul's interests for too long. Consoles are more concerned with fashion and their appearance, their social status and the standings of other people. Practical matters and gossip are their bread and butter, but consoles do their best to use their powers for good. Um, I don't agree with this. I think I can see Lily being very bookish, especially before like getting with James. But I think the reason I included this was because I see her I totally can see her as very practical and obviously like using their powers for good. Yeah, I could also see her as, like, somebody who maybe not, like, only cared about fashion and their appearance, but, like, I think that it, like, I could see her as a person that, like, put effort into her appearance, you know, like, wasn't just totally, like, roll out of bed and go to class. I feel like she would be, like, a very, like, prim and proper, like, brush my hair every morning, Mm -hmm. you know, like, that Mm -hmm. kind of thing. Yeah. So, consuls are altruists, and they take seriously their responsibility to help and to do the right thing. I feel like that's pretty self-explanatory. Joining the order, sacrificing herself for her son, you know. Yeah. Basic altruism there. Yeah. I will say, I feel like we when we talk about sacrificing for Harry, like, we obviously talk about Lily. Because, like, she was the direct one that... Mm-hmm. gave her life for Harry's life and I think James kind of gets like forgotten a little yeah. bit in that but like I will just mention that James also sacrificed his life for Harry and like for the cause mm-hmm. consoles love to be of service and enjoying any role that allows them to participate in a meaningful way so long as they know that they are valued and appreciated this is especially apparent at home and consoles Consuls make loyal and devoted partners and parents. Supportive and outgoing, consuls can always be spotted at a party. They're the ones finding time to chat and laugh with everyone. But their devotion goes further than just breezing through because they have to. Consuls truly enjoy hearing about their friends' relationships and activities, remembering little details, and always standing by, ready to talk things out with warmth and sensitivity. If things aren't going right or there's tension in the room, consuls pick up on it and try to restore restore harmony and stability to the group. I think all of that is really spot on. Um, being of service, being a good parent. Um, I can see her as being sensitive and warm and like caring deeply about her friends, um, but also kind of just being that like fluttery social person, um, social butterfly. And I like this view of her too, especially like the emotional part, because um, with James being maybe like less good with emotions um, and a little insensitive, I think we can see her as maybe trying to balance him out a little bit. So for strengths, we have strong practical skills, strong sense of duty, very loyal, sensitive and warm, and good at connecting with others. I think those all fit pretty well. 
um, weaknesses, worried about their social status, inflexible, reluctant to innovate or improvise, vulnerable to criticism, often too needy, and too selfless, which I put mm. amen next to because not that she was too selfless, but she was very selfless. Yeah. I will say a lot of people compare Harry and Ginny to James and Lily. Mm -hmm. And we haven't done our Harry episode yet. So, like, I don't know if I can fully say this with full confidence. But, like, at least Lily and Ginny don't share the same personality type. Harry Harry and James don't. Okay. So, Harry and James don't either. Which I think is interesting because I feel like we kind of catch that a lot like we'll see them with like similar personality types and that'll make like Mm -hmm. the comparison more interesting um not saying that I don't think that like I think that there are things to compare between those two relationships like (laughs) appearances alone you know but I just thought that was interesting yeah So this next section is about Lily and Snape's relationship. I don't want to get too off the rails on this because this episode (laughs) is about Lily and James and not Snape. Um, So I won't be talking exhaustively about their relationship because we are eventually, I think, going to have a Snape episode. (laughs) I want to save some of this for that episode, so... Lily and Snape began their friendship when they were both children growing up around Spinner's End. I didn't want to say in Spinner's End because I believe it's implied that, like, Spinner's End is maybe, like, the not-a-great-part-of-town that Snape is from, and Lily is from, like, a neighboring town. Isn't it, like, town. Cokeworth is the name of the Yeah, I, like, I don't, like... I don't really know how stuff in England works, so I don't know if, like, Cokeworth is a county and Spinner's End is, like, an area or a city, like... I don't know. So I don't want to say anything incorrect and seem ignorant. Um, But yeah, so they grew up around Spinner's End. um, And they were both the same age and they were both magical, which I don't think would have been super common. We've talked about how small the wizarding population is in England and they're not in... They're not in, like, Diagon Alley or Godric's Hollow, a place that, like, is historically very magical so Snape Mm -hmm. and Snape also had a witch for a mother and so he was kind of able to help Lily understand what was happening um like tell her things about the wizarding world to prepare her for going to Hogwarts kind of like explain things to her so I think that that's kind of like the basis of their relationship is that Snape kind of like took her under his wing in his eyes kind of like saw it as his duty to like show her around the wizarding world and he got to kind of like Mm. show off like he knows things and you know feel important which i don't think he felt important very often in his life (laughs) sorry um Uh. (laughs) am i feeling sympathy for snape right now maybe just a little (laughs) bit um (laughs) so sorry but when they started hogwarts they were still friends but they were, start, they were placed in different houses. So Lily was placed in Gryffindor and Snape was placed in Slytherin. So that's a big Uh-oh. plot twist. We're, like a record scratch. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know what a record scratch sounds like. Um, but yeah. So they did stay friends for a while in school. But I think kind of, kind of like happens in any relationship at that age like if you're not together all the time like you start to grow apart a little bit you know they started to make their own friends and their own houses started to do their own thing and then 
things really came to a head when Snape started to fall in with a bad crowd. He started to hang out with people who would eventually become Death Eaters. And Lily was like, I ain't got time for that shit, Snape. Like, come on. Um, and, like, Lily confronted him about this because he was attacking James and kind of, like, in defense of James before they were dating, which I think is, like, kind of cute. Um, she was like, well, what about your friend? Or, actually, Snape was the one Wait. who said, what about your friends? Yeah. Then, no. um, but anyways, in that, she kind of defended James and was like, they're not that bad. Um, but yeah, so he started hanging out with Death Eaters, and in this conversation, he calls her a mudblood, which was the straw that broke the camel's back for their relationship. And yeah, honestly, I support the end of that relationship. Um, yeah. At least it was ended on, like, Lily's side. Obviously, we know that Snape harbored these feelings for years and years and years and years. Not only after they were no longer friends, but after she had died. Um, I'm going to, like, read my <laughs> read my note on this because I think it's very funny. So, apparently, this whole time Snape had been in love with Lily, but not enough not to call her a slur and not enough not to hang out with people who wanted her not to exist and to be wiped out. Hmm. Is that really love? You can decide that one for yourself. Um, but, yeah. And on the note of Snape being, quote-unquote, in love with Lily... Lily's Patronus is the same as his, or his is the same as Lily's, so they both have Doe Patronuses. Well, like we mentioned before, James has a stag, which is complementary to Lily's Doe. So I've seen a description on the internet, which I have come to like believe is fact, that because Snape had the same Patronus as her, and not a complimentary one, he was not in love with her, like, he was more obsessed with her, and then my next note on here is, insert the Outer Banks quote, like, you're in love with the idea of me, like, that, what is it, Sarah's, like, talking to Topper, like, no, Topper, you don't love me, um, well, it was, like, a thing on TikTok, too, (laughs) not saying that you would know that from TikTok, either, but I thought it was pretty Um, funny. That is funny, also, yeah. Yeah. He's just obsessed with her. It's an obsession. It's not love. Yeah. I think that, like, I do think that they had a friendship. Like, I'm not saying that their friendship was fake or, like, wasn't real. And maybe he was in love with her then. But I think that he kind of became so obsessed with, like, recapturing that relationship that they had before. And, like, his feelings that he had before, mm-hmm. like, when they were children that, like, he just couldn't let it go. Like, he was obsessed with the idea of being with her because he had just, like... Like, I don't know if I'm making any sense, but I do think that at one point, like, he actually had feelings for her and, like, cared about her. But I think that over the years, once he, like, lost her, it wasn't so much about her. It was about, like, him and the way that she made him feel about himself, not so much, Mm -hmm. like, how he felt about her. If that makes any sense. Yeah. I think that's a good way to put it. I think it was a way of him, for him to be like, I'm not such a bad guy. Like, I love this girl who's, like, a muggle-born, and I have, like, mm-hmm. real feelings, and I care about somebody else. And I think, like, he felt good with her because she brought out, like, these good feelings in him. But obviously we see that he chooses not to act on his good, nice, warm, friendly feelings. Yeah. But his hateful, resentful... 
feelings. Yeah, it could have been it could have been good for him to have those feelings, and it wasn't. Yeah, I think it's kind of like that classic. I don't know if this is really classic, but like kind of like when the like girl next door and like the bad boy, you know, like she can do so much good for him. Like she's so good for him, but like it's not her job to like mm-hmm. rehabilitate mm-hmm. this. Yeah struggling emotional teenage boy like that's on him and Snape fails at it he can't do it on his own yeah so now with a bit of overlap I'm going to talk about kind of just like their Hogwarts years in general because this is a James and Lily episode I forgot yeah (laughs) sorry I tried not to go too off the rails but I think at the end they did go a little bit off the rails it's worth talking about but I also don't want to get like folding into it yeah Um, for sure so James and Lily, of course, were both sorted into Gryffindor. James became fast friends with Sirius, Remus, and Wormtail pretty immediately. Um, formed the Marauders, if you will. <laughs> and then... Do you think I they think called it's... that, like, do you think they referred to themselves as that? Or was that more, like, only when, like, like when they created the Marauders map? Like, oh, we need, like, a name for it. Or do you think no, they were, I think, like, we're I the think Marauders? they referred to themselves at it. And I think that if they were to have a group chat, it'd be called the Marauders. The Marauders. (laughs) Well, obviously. (laughs) Um, So in, I believe it's second year, James, Sirius, and Wormtail found out about Remus being a werewolf. And then maybe in fifth year, I don't know if any of these numbers are canon, but I think this is what people have kind of surmised. Um, They succeeded in becoming Animaguses so that they could join him in their transformations. And of course, they later created the Marauders map, so... Lots of a busy, busy time for James. Yeah. Um, and that on top of schoolwork, like, maybe yeah. he just, and detention. Like, we see that they were in detention. At least James and Sirius, like, quite a bit. So, they had packed yeah. days. <laughs> so, then just talking a bit about James and Snape. Um, James and Sirius did not get along with Snape from the very start. Um, we know from Snape's memory of them insulting him on the Hogwarts Express and also like insulting Slytherin. Sirius and Remus also kind of assumed that the rivalry started from Snape being jealous of James's Quidditch abilities and popularity, which maybe had something to do with it, but I think I don't think Snape really cared that much about Quidditch. Um I think it was more so just like James's popularity and the fact that he was like rude to him from the start. Yeah. James we do know was rather obnoxious and arrogant and he would just go around hexing people um especially snape for the fun of it were you gonna say something oh i was just gonna say like i think for snape it was not so much the fact that he was popular but like the fact that like his bully was popular you know like there's nothing worse than like seeing somebody who like hurt you basically like succeed and be better seen as better than Mm -hmm. you it's like no he's hurting me like he's the mean one you know (laughs) yeah um so yeah james did bully snape um there's no like we talked about this i think on the serious episode i don't know when we talked about this um there's no like way around it like he definitely was a bully for a period of his life um and James also pursued Lily for much of their time at Hogwarts, and this, of course, annoyed Snape, too, because he wanted to be with Lily. Um, And one time, Lily defended Snape, 
um, basically telling James to stop hexing him. And James is like, I will if you go out with me, Evans. And then that Snape called Lily a mudblood because he was all embarrassed that, like, Lily had to defend yeah. um, him. And Lily told James that he was just as bad as Snape and wouldn't go out with him even if it was between him and the giant squid. <laughs> I love so, that. So I feel like that's, like, the big, like, converging of these three people, these three relationships. Um Yeah, like, definitely, in my eyes, at this moment, neither of them are good enough for Lily, um, and she totally sees that. She sees her worth. Yeah. Um, but I just think it's very interesting that, like, they can't, neither of them can, like, win her over because they're doing the wrong thing you know like they see they seem like very much opposites but like they're failing in a similar way yeah we do know that james did snape save snape's life at some point during their school years because sirius directed him to the whomping willow on a night when remus was transforming and james stopped snape from going yes he saved snape's life but he was also kind of saving sirius's ass and remus's ass and his own ass so like he did the right thing, but yeah. it was also self-serving and yeah. for his friends good. So, it, I mean, obviously he did the right thing and it would have been terrible if that had happened. Um, but Snape is kind of valid in his complaint that, like, maybe he only did it because he didn't want Sirius to be- send someone to their death. He didn't want Remus to kill someone or make him transform. You know, like, there's a yeah. lot of... Um, there's a lot of things going on there. I think it also shows, like, Snape's blind hatred of James that he kind of, like, doesn't place much blame on Sirius for this instance. Like, he seems so wholeheartedly, like, blame James for this whole situation. Yeah, I think you're really right that, like, Snape was gonna do anything to, like, paint James as the bad guy. And it doesn't mean that James wasn't the bad guy in certain cases. Um, Like, Snape can still be valid. Like, his complaints can be valid, but also, like, it's a very complicated thing. And, like, we can't just take Snape's word for things. Yeah. Um, So, James did end up being head boy. And it's pursuant presumed that he got his act together in seventh year after not being made a prefect earlier and fucking around his whole time at Hogwarts or almost his whole time um so we do know he was known to be very clever and he did well in school but didn't really have to try kind of going along with everyone like wondering why James and Lily are even together they all also don't understand why um James ends up becoming a head boy because we have no evidence for him like being the kind of person who should be head boy yeah um yeah something must have changed for him yeah well so I think with that I think that was a combination of like maybe Dumbledore slash McGonagall I don't know who really makes those decisions but like wanting to like reward him like, I guess he, mm-hmm. if he was made head boy at the beginning of his seventh year, he would have had to, like, start cleaning up his act his sixth, in his sixth, yeah. sixth year. Yeah. Sorry. Um, 
like maybe like reward him for like his good behavior kind of thing (laughs) and I think it's also has to do with Lupin like I don't know how much he really enjoyed being prefect like he kind of alludes to the fact that like he maybe didn't love it like he didn't see himself as like the best person for the job Mm -hmm. you know like that Mm -hmm. kind of thing so maybe they didn't want to make him head maybe boy. Lupin didn't want to be head boy. Yeah, like, like I could, them, I could see boy. him doing that. But that also yeah. doesn't ignore the fact that like there are still three other houses to yeah. like pick a head boy from. Um. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> um. So after I talked about James for a while, um, we know a lot less about Lily's time at Hogwarts. We know she was very bright and gifted in potions, per Slughorn, and charms. Um, Also a member of the Slug Club. Was unimpressed with James and his arrogance and bullying, but did admire his disdain for the aspiring Death Eaters. And (laughs) had a falling out with Snape, as Katie detailed. Um, And she also was head girl, and I said, I assume prefect, but we don't know that it's confirmed, as I talked about earlier. Yeah. So that's kind of an overview of their Hogwarts gears. A lot of it is just like Snape, but. Yeah. You can't really talk about James and Lily without talking about Snape. Because, like, not only did he have, like, such a integral, like, relationship with one of them. Like, he really had an integral relationship with both of them. So. Um, speaking of relationships, I'm going to talk a little bit about Lily and James's relationship. So we know that they started their relationship during their seventh year at Hogwarts, um, and were married soon after at the age of 18, you know, how it goes. Um, they were married sometime between the summer of 1978 when they graduated from Hogwarts and the fall of 1979. I don't think that any of these numbers are, like, fully confirmed. I think they get the fall of 1979 from that would be the point when Lily would have to have become pregnant with Harry to give birth to him in July of 1980. Mm. So that's under the assumption that, like, she wasn't pregnant before they got married. (laughs) I don't know if that's really a fair assumption to make. Um, But who knows? We do know that Sirius was the best man at the wedding, which I think is super cute. And we don't know who Lily's maid of honor was or maid, matron of honor. Um, we know that it wasn't Petunia. Yeah. <laughs> That's the only thing we don't thing know. We don't know anything about, like, Lily's friends. No, we don't know anything about Lily besides her relationship with the men in her life. Yeah. Um mm. <laughs> Like I said just super quickly before, Petunia was not there. Um, she was invited, but she refused to be present because in the winter of 1977, so like the Christmas of Lily and James's seventh year, they went and had dinner with Petunia and Vernon. So this is like, was an extra thing released on Pottermore, I believe, like the story mm-hmm. of their meeting. It did not go very well, I believe, specifically James and Vernon butted heads quite a bit. <laughs> and then when Lily and James went to Petunia's wedding, maybe? I don't know. Maybe I'm making this up. But at some point, like, Vernon called uh, him, like, a useless yeah. wizard or yeah, something it was, like that. Yeah, it was at Petunia, Petunia and Vernon's wedding. Oh, yeah, because and Lily was invited, but she was they not went, a bridesmaid. Yeah. And yeah. she, like, that's a little 
I feel like if you're not going to make your sister her your bridesmaid, you should just, like, not invite them. No, like, there's obviously, like, some reason <laughs> yeah. why they're not your bridesmaid. Maybe it's the same reason they should not be at your wedding. Um, <laughs> anyways, um, so we do know that they were at least dating by the Christmas of their seventh year. Um, I would say, like, probably at least, like, a month or two at that point. Like, I don't know how quickly yeah. you would invite somebody back you're like basically home for christmas as kind of it's implied that happened um but i don't know like going to other people's homes for christmas seems like kind of commonplace in this series at least so who knows how serious it had to it was at that point um but because of this timeline we know that they did not date for very long before they got married so if we're saying the earliest that they got married was like the summer after they graduated that's like less than a year of dating Mm mm-hmm um which is uh, more time you know yeah well i will say they have like known each other for seven years at this point you know it's not like yeah. they met but dated for less than a year and it's got married different. but they are very young <laughs> that is yeah. another layer to that um and i will say molly does kind of address this like getting married young in war times thing when she talks about bill and fleur rushing into their marriage and like that's kind of what her and arthur did like you kind of have this feeling of like am i gonna live tomorrow like you might as well just (laughs) get married i guess um so maybe that was the spur of their marriage being so fast who knows um (laughs) But, like I said before, um, Lily became pregnant in the fall of 1979 at age 19. So young. Like, so young. I will say, I think something with the ages, especially in the case of Lily and James, because Hogwarts is kind of their, like, that's their schooling. I think you could equate 19 getting married and having a kid to maybe like 23 23. like a year after being done with school like still I mean not like 23 (laughs) is not really sound that much better but I think it sounds a little bit better than 19 Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um so maybe if you like look at it through that lens it's like not quite as jarring but I don't know as two 22 year olds like 19 is yeah yeah a lot Uh. Um, and then Harry was born in the summer of 1980 when they were both 20. So. Okay. Again, very young. Um, and I don't believe we know where they were living before they moved to Godric's Hollow to, like, aid in their hiding. I assume probably, like, around James's parents slash maybe in their house. Mm. Um, that would be, like, my best guess, I think. And we also know that they defied Voldemort thrice before the prophecy was made, right? Or I guess it doesn't yeah. have to be technically before the prophecy was made, but before October. Yeah. Well, does it even have to be before Harry was born? Oh, well, it gets us born, born to, to parents those who have thrice. thrice yeah. Okay. So, yeah, before Harry was born, which if we're counting – like, if we're not counting Hogwarts years, like, post them officially, like, becoming a member of the Order of the Phoenix, that, like, yeah. is not a very long time. Like, maybe, like, not that much longer than a year and a half to have, like, yeah. encountered Voldemort. I think, like, obviously it's not it's not super specific, so, like, maybe to find his Death Eaters is to find him. Like, we don't 
Yeah, so... It's not super specific, but, like, if we are to take, like, the most basic interpretation of that, like, they met Voldemort three times and, like, got away three times within just over a year and a half. Yeah. So, I mean, my next section is on their hiding in Deaths and Legacy, and I start with um, the prophecy, so... Yeah. I read a little bit about this. A lot of people are speculating. Um, Apparently, I don't know where this is... But I think it's something that we might know. I don't know if it's full canon that Voldemort wanted James and potentially Lily. Like, tried to recruit them. Yeah. Um, maybe not Lily. Because pe- people have pushed back on that they're, like, Lily's muggle-born. Yeah. But I think it might be, like, said somewhere. And so that is presumed to be, like, one of the times they defied him was, like, saying, like, not joining his side. Yeah. Um, and then... Kind of like a slughorn thing, like, trying to... Right. It's unclear, like, does just joining the Order count as defying him? Yeah. And then maybe, like, an encounter with him and Death Eaters. Um, The whole thing is really unclear, so interpret it as you will, I guess. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, the prophecy, of course, that set everything into motion was by Trelawney, um, and Snape overheard it at the Hogshead Inn, passed it on to Voldemort, and then Voldemort um, identified the Potters as the people who were having this baby, the Potters and Harry. And Snape, being obsessed with Lily, switched sides and told Dumbledore of Voldemort's plans. So, so was, Dumbledore and... Oh, sorry. Was Harry born slash was Lily pregnant at the time of this prophecy being made? Do we know? I think so. Okay. That she was pregnant or that he was born? I think she was pregnant. Okay. Like, that's why they signaled, sing, singled them out. I don't, they're like, oh, they're pregnant. Yeah. I don't think we actually know the, any of okay. it, though. So, Dumbledore encouraged the Potters to go into hiding and offered to be their secret keeper. Um, they went, in, I, we, I think we know they went into hiding when Lily was still pregnant, so yeah. the prophecy was then made when they were pregnant. Um they lived in Godric's Hollow with the Fidelius charm on the house, and we know the whole story of Pettigrew betraying them as their secret keeper. So when Voldemort showed up, they were wandless and just kind of like in the house. James yelled for Lily to take Harry and run, so she ran up to the nursery to get Harry. Voldemort killed James before Lily and Harry could become anywhere near escaping. Um, so this is getting back to that sacrifice we talked about James making, like... He was like, I'm going to stay and fight, but he didn't yeah. even have his wand, so. Um, so then Voldemort proceeded up to the nursery where he confronted Lily and told her to step aside, um, honoring Snape's wish. And Lily, of course, refused and gave her life for Harry. When Voldemort tried to kill Harry, the curse rebounded um, due to Lily's sacrifice. Yeah. So just bringing this up again super quickly. So Lily defied him three times. Like, I think it's, like, known that Voldemort asked her three times, like, step aside. I think that's the number I had in my head, but I didn't check it. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's three. So, like, thrice defied him is also a very, like, biblical um, theme because oh, it's been a while since Sunday school, but somebody, like, thrice defied Jesus, like, mm. on the night of his crucifixion. Um, so, yeah. It's another... 
I don't have much more to add than that because again, it's been a second since sun or Sunday school, but that's also like we we talk about how like there are some like biblical and like religious themes throughout the Harry Potter series and that's like a very obvious one. Yeah. It's interesting. So yeah, that's kind of the events of the night and I'm just going to talk a bit about Lily's protection because this is kind of her legacy. So we know it only worked because Voldemort gave her the option to live and she chose death to protect Harry. Um, If he had not given her the option to live, it wouldn't have worked because like it wouldn't have been a choice. Yeah, that's Um, why it doesn't, that's why like James dying didn't protect Lily and Harry. So um, according to the wiki... In cases involving a single person, the protection, this is like the life protection, prevents whoever murdered the victim from physically touching the beneficiary, Harry, without experiencing excruciating pain and will cause a killing curse cast at the beneficiary by the murderer to rebound. So this is Avada Kedavra rebounding. This is why Baldi can't touch Harry and Sorcerer's Stone. Um... And then another quote from the wiki, I'm just like reading a lot of this because I feel like kind of people forget about it. Um, Another defensive effect of sacrificial protection binds the beneficiary to life when his or her blood is transferred to another person as long as that person lives. However, if the blood is transferred to the murderer, then the murderer will be able to overcome some aspects of the protection. Evidence of this can be seen in the way that Lord Voldemort was able to touch Harry Potter and harm him after his rebirth and resurrection. So Harry is bound to life because his blood is in Voldemort's body um, and his blood has that protection, but also because Voldemort takes that blood, he can he can touch Harry. Now, I can touch you. <laughs> Um, and then on top of this, we also have the privet drive protection. So this is a separate thing, um, or like an additional thing where if the victim was related to the beneficiary, then a powerful charm known as the bond of blood charm can be cast upon the beneficiary to give them additional protection. Although it is unknown how closely the two must be related for this charm to work. This charm prevents any harm from coming to the beneficiary from the murderer while they are in a blood-related relative's home. So, it breaks at age 17 or when the protected person moves out permanently. This is something that we presume Dumbledore cast on Harry on Privet Drive to protect Harry when he was at Privet Drive. Um, It only worked when he was there. It only worked so long as he called that place home for some amount of time every year. And a lot of people ask, why couldn't Harry have gone to the Potters? I mean, the Potters were dead, obviously. But even if he had been able to go to the Potters, there I don't think that there could have been this protection. Obviously, he would have been able to have other protections because he would have been living with wizards, which a witch and a wizard. But... This protection requires a blood rel- blood related relative of Lily. Yeah. So that's Petunia. Um, and I also just want to bring up when we're talking about like sacrificial protection, um, we do to see this at one other point during the series when Harry um, chooses to give his life to go to Voldemort and die, quote die, um, 
and then his protection works on a group of people and so it works a little bit differently with like how they're protected it's more so like um curses and spells can't last on them or like they just keep missing them narrowly yeah um, but harry then does as his mother did so yeah. this is i feel like this is what everybody thinks of when they think of lily and this is like yeah. her great act. a mother's love a mother's love and i think i've been i've wanted to do an episode kind of on like love and the different types yeah. of love in the series so i think we'll get to that eventually and we'll definitely mm. talk more about a mother's love um, that could be maybe our like february um, i was gonna say episode valentine's, well, valentine's day, day yeah. There. <laughs> yeah so if you want to hear us talk about love become a patron <laughs> in february yeah. If that's the only reason or you now. want to become a patron. Um, no judgment. Yeah. Yeah, and I want to, like, specifically say, so this only works if somebody, like, chooses to die. Not if they choose to fight. Not if they choose mm-hmm. to, like, stand up against somebody. It's, like, they are making the conscious decision. There is no, like, well, I could maybe or I might get out of it. It's, like, no. I'm dying right now kind mm-hmm. of thing. Um, speaking of dying, the where are they now section. So, unfortunately, they are both dead, and they're buried in the cemetery in Godric's Hollow, and they live on through their only child, Harry Potter. But, like I mentioned before, we do see them multiple times throughout the series, in the Mirror of Erised, in Memories, mainly Snape's Memories, I guess only Snape's Memories, really. Yeah. Because we don't... Yeah, so, like, Snape's memory accidentally in Order of the Phoenix, and then Snape's memories at the end that he gives to Harry. And then again in the Resurrection Stone when they semi-come to life to see Harry before he dies. Yeah. And then Lily Potter and James Potter become people again. Yeah, there are new Lily and James Potters (laughs) 2.0. Round two. Yeah, round two. Are you concerned about the fact that your favorite Harry Potter characters go to a magic school that doesn't teach them practical skills like basic arithmetic or what an element is? Did you go to a magic school that didn't teach you practical skills like basic arithmetic or what an element is? If any of the above applies to you, you should check out our podcast. That's Not How Science Works, hosted by myself and my truly awesome co-host, Nicole. In our podcast, Caitlin and I discuss the science in different pieces of media, such as movies or TV shows, and dissect whether it's good, bad, or just plain ridiculous. Often, we also have special guests who help us rant about bad science and their areas of expertise. We release new episodes every other Monday, and you can find us wherever you usually download your podcasts. We like to think of this as a podcast for the science curious. So whether you're a practicing scientist or a wizard who just graduated high school with no practical life skills, we'd love for you to listen in. You can also find out more by going to our website, thatsnotscience.com, or by looking us up on Twitter, at TNHSWpod. We hope you give us a listen. Now back to your regularly scheduled Potterheads, Katie and Audrey. For our pop quiz today, I don't, I don't know, I, I don't know if I'm an answer for this one. Um, how do you think? We kind of alluded to this, but we specifically did not talk about this specifically because we had this for our pop quiz. How do you think James won over Lily? How do you think? 
their relationship went from what we saw in Snape's memories to being married two years later or three years later or whatever it was. I also don't really have an answer. Um, so let's go to our Facebook group. Give us a little bit more time. <laughs> Leia said, I always like to think he got too involved in the war and started being less of an idiot because of how serious it was, which made him more appealing to Lily. And Linda, our patron of the episode, said, Woo-hoo. chemistry, you can't help who you feel it with. I mean, um, I think that's probably a part of it. <laughs> So, uh, I'd like to think that, I don't know that I have, like, a specific answer, but I think it has something to do with, like, finally spending time alone together, or not even alone, but just, like, James not surrounded by Sirius and Remus and Wormtail and I think that like he is probably a lot different of a person a lot tamer of a person maybe a bit more serious um when he's not with Sirius when he's not with them and like Lily could actually talk to him and like actually see maybe who he is deeper down um I think that like just like I think it was just a matter I mean we know they got together like pretty quickly and stuff but like I think it was just a matter of time and I do really really like what Leia said about like the war kind of like changing him yeah I like that I I think that I really also like the chemistry because I think even in Snape's memories when like we see them like bantering with each other like I don't know I think that maybe like banter sometimes does not equate a relationship but like I think that kind of like witty banter back and forth with people like being able Mm. to you know like poke fun at somebody like you're kind of more comfortable with um that like classic kind of like high school relationship where like (laughs) two people like not that they're like mean to each other because I don't think that like I don't know maybe what Holy said to James was a little bit mean (laughs) like I'd rather go (laughs) on the giant squid than you but like James was never bullying Lily you know like he was bullying Snape and like Lily just took offense to that you know but kind of just people who you just like have that instant connection that you're able to like feel comfortable around somebody and kind of like poke fun at them and you just have that like back and forth bear trade Mm -hmm. relationship um like not in a toxic way but just kind of in like a you get me you get me you know like that kind of thing so I think that that chemistry did play a, a big part in it and I do think that like James obviously like wised up a little bit and started to take himself and like his actions and the consequences to his actions probably a little bit more seriously um again say serious so many times right now (laughs) um I don't know I don't think that there's some like big mystery theory of like oh James did this one thing no and that's why I really do think it's kind of just like the most popular theory that's out there in the Harry Potter like fandom that just like like James kind of grew up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have to remember, like, he was only, like, 16, you know? Yeah. Takes a bit. I mean, he was, like, 16 when they, when they started dating. So, like, yeah. it was, like, 14, 15 when he was being, like, a little snot, you know? Yeah. Like, for a, a snotty 14, 15-year-old boy is, like, not that uncommon. So, yeah. You know, like, yeah. people do grow up, people do change. I think the main thing is just seeing, like, how quickly it happened and, like, us as readers, like, not seeing that happen mm-hmm. and just going from, like, him being a snot to 
Harry being born and Harry seeing him as this like god that can do no wrong you know yeah yeah all right well you can find us on your favorite podcast apps and make sure you go and leave us a rating and a review because it really helps us and it makes us happy yes (laughs) (laughs) i actually went back and was like reading old reviews today because you know that's just what i do with my time now that i'm unemployed um (laughs) You can also find us on social media. We are Wizard Studies Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. You can join our Facebook group if you want us to read your answers to our pop quiz questions live on the podcast. Our Facebook group is Wizard Studies Podcast Group. You can follow us on Twitter at Wizard Studies. And then you can become a patron. Oh, should we tease the, like, what our bonus episode is going to be about? Or do we want it to be a surprise? Let's just say... There's a reason it's coming out on the last day of October. <laughs> so if you want to listen to that episode, because you can become a patron. I believe it's the $5 level mm-hmm. or more to get the extra episode a month. Um, we kind of teased maybe what our February episode's going to be. We have some good ones in mind as well. Um, just quickly a refresher. We're going to do some themed episodes, but we do want to do a couple chapter like rereads as well in those episodes. So if you have a chapter from the series that you particularly want us to talk about, become a patron and let us know and we'll talk about it. Um, you can become a patron if you go to patreon.com and then just search in the search bar for Wizard Dice Podcast. Yeah. All right. As always, thank you so much for listening. And remember, just do your best. We'll do the rest. And learn until our brains all rot. Mm-hmm.